This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Voice Ask Me Anything, a special series from Full Story where we take your questions about the Indigenous voice to Parliament and put them to people who have the answers. Referendum Day is just over a month away, and despite a Yes campaign blitz that borrowed one of Australia's most iconic songs, Yes is polling lower than ever. In this episode, we speak to leading Indigenous voices from the Yes and No campaigns about dirty tactics, Peter Dutton's proposal for a second referendum, and whether The Voice could help close the gap. It's Wednesday, the 13th of September. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Senator Karen Little, you're one of two Indigenous politicians in the coalition and a no campaigner. Our first audience question for you is, what is the harm in voting yes? What's the actual harm or damage that it will cause? The problem for me is that this is not just about recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the constitution. There are two elements to this. One is recognition and the other one is the mechanism of voice. This is an advisory body or a committee embedded in the constitution forever. And then there's the practical experience that I bring that says, I don't believe that another advisory body, another committee on top of all the committees that already exist is going to deliver what it says it will. And that is improving the lives of Indigenous peoples. Mm. And I'm not convinced that this is the right way to get outcomes or the best way to get outcomes for our most vulnerable. Mm. I want to pick up on a few points that you said there, Mm -hmm. the concern that this is going to be in the constitution forever. I mean, it is true that a mandate for a voice will be permanent, but the shape of it is able to change. And surely that is the job of a politician like yourself, if the voice isn't working, to change it, to make it work better, correct? Well, the fundamental principle for me as an Indigenous Australian myself is that the Constitution belongs to all Australians equally, whether you can trace your your history back 70,000 years or whether you became an Australian, you know, last generation or last year. Mm. I, I want to pick up on another point that you made that the existing structures should be improved. I mean, the existing structure for advice to government on Indigenous affairs has led to a situation where the gap isn't closing. We're seeing such high incarceration rates, poor health. Surely something needs to change there. 
Yeah, but I'm not convinced this is actually the answer. I've come from a a workplace where accountability um, is always the first focus. And I don't believe what we have sufficiently done is focus on those organisations that deliver programs right now to improve the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Uh, We need to focus on them, not expect that change will come from another advisory body, another organisation to co-collaborate, co-design with politicians, with parliamentarians, with uh, the public service to get better results. I believe they can get accountability right now. And in fact, that's the fastest way to start improving lives for Indigenous Australians. What do you mean by accountability? So what I mean about accountability, we've seen just last week another inquiry that we requested both myself and Senator Nampajimpa Price into organisations that are supposed to be delivering for the most vulnerable within Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cohort. And yet that was knocked back by the Greens and the Labor Party. I was personally disappointed. And as a, as a politician, I was disappointed in that because I think the evidence is clear that we can get greater accountability by calling on those organisations that are delivering now to do better. Mm. The next question is about the strategy of the No campaign. This listener asks, why has the No campaign hinged its success on the ignorance of everyday Australians? This isn't just the listener's opinion. The No campaign slogan is, if you don't know, vote no. We've heard that quite a few times. Do you agree that the No campaign is hinging its success on ignorance? I think that's a really question to ask the Prime Minister why he would go to the Australian people with a proposition where a lot of the details are still unknown. Uh, Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people ask me often, well, who's going to be represented here? How do I participate in this process? What will they focus on? So I simply don't accept that saying that's unknown is somehow an extraordinary proposition to put to the Australian people as a reason why they... I should consider no. Labor have accused your party, the Liberal Party, of dirty tactics after they sent out pamphlets that include a QR code for people to register for postal voting, which actually takes voters to a party website that gathers their personal information. Is the Liberal Party deliberately misleading voters here? I think when we talk about misleading voters, we should actually have a look at this proposition that's being put to the Australian people. Just to bring you back to the issue of these pamphlets, though, Senator. I'm getting getting to the issue of, of, of the time frame. We are now waiting for the writs to be issued. That is going to happen anytime soon. And yet we've been waiting more than a week for that to actually occur. And I think we're we're not prepared to wait until the very last minute to get information out to people so that they can consider the detail that we do have. But can you comment on the issue of these pamphlets and whether they were misleading voters? I don't think the pamphlets are misleading voters. I think it's got plenty of information in there. Mm. Senator, the next listener question is, what would you say to those thinking of voting yes. And I'm wondering if I can add to that, can you tell me a bit about your interaction with yes voters in South Australia, which is such an essential swing state? Well, I've been really, really clear about respectful dialogue in these conversations, whether people are no voters, whether they are yes voters, or whether they're not sure. Mm. Um, I think making sure that we engage respectfully, and that's been one of, as an Indigenous person, that's been one of the things I've been really disappointed about, is the divisive nature in which 
this has been taken to the Australian people. You know, I hear comparisons of the 1967 referendum, which was truly about unity. Um, This referendum, though, I think will go down as the voice of division. The way it's been conducted, I think, has been divisive. And I think that's really unfortunate for the most disadvantaged people within that cohort. How have you been setting an example then when speaking to voters about how to disagree and have respectful conversations around the referendum? What have those conversations been like for you? Well, I challenge anybody to go and find a conversation where I've been disrespectful with regard to how I've engaged people in this. Um, I've even been so respectful when uh, people from Uluru, elders out there, rang me and said, we're very concerned with how, how we've been treated. I went out, I spoke to them, I got a professional interpreter. I've conducted myself quite respectfully and made sure I haven't shut the voices up of voices I just didn't want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important part of this process. People cannot say who can have voice about voice. And that's been an unfortunate part of this process, I think. A lot of the concerns around respectful debate, they frequently focus on the comments of no campaigner Gary Johns. He's claimed that some people in Indigenous communities live in a stupor. He's recommended that they learn English. The Prime Minister said that he's really failed to show respect to Indigenous people. What do you think? Well, I can only be responsible for what I say, and I think you should put those those comments uh, to Mr Johns, um, not to me, because that's not the way I've conducted discussion on voice. And uh, and I don't agree with some of those comments. Do those comments have a place in the respectful debate that, that you want around the referendum? And, and should he be a part of the no campaign? Well, I amplify the voices of people who are focused on the very factual issues about uh, why I certainly, not just um, say this in the parliament and publicly, but I will go to a ballot box and I will vote no. Have you spoken to Gary Johns? No, I don't know Gary Johns. I'm focused on making sure that I get this message out and I talk to people from the diversity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. You know, they're just not all living disadvantaged lives. Some people have got and had a loud voice for a very, very long time in politics, professionally, and personally. And I want to make sure that the information goes to people wherever they live, however they live, because they have a right to that information. And unfortunately, what I see and hear is that people who are out in remote and regional areas, which is where I come from, I'm a senator for South Australia, but I was born and raised in Alice Springs. So I spent time in these remote communities not just flying in for a couple of hours or driving in with a flash four-wheel drive and then driving out again a few hours later. I've actually spent a great deal of time in those communities. Mm. And what I say is those people are entitled to information and they're telling me they're not getting it. So making sure that you communicate with people where just paying their mobile phone bill is an issue at the moment. That's the other frustrating thing. This government seems to be so focused on voice that in a cost of living crisis where people are desperate, you know, that's not their focus. Mm. The next listener question is about people who are unable to vote in this referendum. They ask, why can't incarcerated people serving sentences longer than three years vote in this referendum, especially when there's such a high number of mob who are incarcerated. I believe you actually voted against an amendment in the Senate that would have allowed incarcerated people to vote. Why? That is the current rule and that's the current expectations of the Australian people, that people who have committed serious crimes 
cannot vote, not just in a referendum, but in an election. And until that changes, then I, I won't support it. Our last question from listeners is, if the referendum does not pass, do you think that the issue of recognition and a voice will fade from the culture? And what if it does? How would you feel? Well, I think they're really um, questions for the Albanese government in putting those two ideas as if they are one. Uh, as an Indigenous Australian, I'm really disappointed that the Prime Minister would sell us this idea on a vibe that this is the answer to improving the lives of Indigenous peoples and yet also say that if this fails at referendum, the highest bar for getting anything across, that he's not going to pursue either of those propositions. Nobody will win from the way this has been conducted. Mm -hmm. Peter Dutton has suggested that if the referendum fails, that he would push for a second referendum that's just on more symbolic constitutional recognition. Do, do you support that? What do you think of that? Well, I fully support that. That's what people are telling me they want. They are completely committed to the concept of constitutional recognition. One thing that regardless of the result of this referendum that will happen, I think, is that Australians politicians, policymakers are clearly on notice that we can all do better, we must do better, and I think we can do better regardless of the result. I just want to pick up on one last thing. You've mentioned a few times in this conversation that the voice is divisive. How? Well, I believe the Australian constitution uh, belongs to all Australians equally. I do not believe voice belongs in the constitution. Um, it is divisive because it only benefits one particular group and it doesn't need to be in the constitution. This could have been legislated only by the Prime Minister, but he refused in his no compromise proposition to even consider that. Mm. Senator, that's, that's all my questions for you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next. Yes, campaigner Tanya Hosh on Closing the Gap and a controversial call by the AFL. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you're probably aware, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, meaning we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, nor do we answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we have not put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. If you're able to contribute and have a minute, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. We've also linked to this on the full story page. Thanks. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Tanya Hosh, you're the board director of Australians for Indigenous Constitutional Recognition and the general manager of inclusion and social policy at the AFL. Many of our listeners want to know about the practical impact that a voice could have for Indigenous people. And one listener asks, how will the voice help close the gap? There's a lot of research, both internationally and in Australia, that demonstrates that when Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are dealing with the consequences of their own decision-making, that the decision-making is more precise and that you get better outcomes as a result. It's um, believed that the voice will be comprised of people with the right expertise and knowledge to give advice to government and indeed keep government accountable for the way that they are delivering services to First Mm. Peoples right across the country, um, seeking to improve the impact of that service delivery and that policy making. You spoke movingly at the Yes campaign launch about your own health and about what you hope The Voice would do for Indigenous health. Can you expand on that? What will The Voice do for Indigenous health and why is this so close to your heart? Well, I think when we look at the way that um, the Aboriginal community controlled health organisations worked well together during COVID, um, demonstrated that expertise, that leadership, that direction really did help us avoid what could have been a much greater risk and crisis of COVID outbreaks in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. The idea that that expertise and direction could come through a permanent voice um, that would be able to track progress in that regard um, and maintain that accountability and dialogue about what is working on the ground, I think has to make a positive difference. through my own experience, which has most recently resulted in me having to have a right lower leg amputation, you know, has really made me realise how much was lacking in terms of um, health intervention at the preventative level. And in my case, I feel like if I'd had greater support in those early stages of my diagnosis, I um, would have been in a much better situation than I find myself in now. And I think that's just one personal story when I know that there's thousands of others out there that similarly would um, benefit from early intervention. I want to go to a question that's in the news right now. The AFL has announced that Grand Final Day will not feature voice promotion. You are General Manager of Inclusion and Social Policy at the AFL. Did you have any input into this decision? As far as I'm aware, we haven't been approached to do any advertising for Grand Final Day uh, for the Yes case. Um, Certainly we do treat the finals as um, the very special event that they are, but um, it certainly doesn't take away from 
you know, the strong support for the voice that the AFL Commission announced earlier this year. According to the SMH, the Yes campaign was concerned that promotion of the voice on grand final day would risk community backlash from sports lovers who, you know, don't want politics mixing with their sport. Do you agree that there's a a risk of backlash and that, you know, the referendum should stay away from sport? Look, I'm certainly um, not someone who thinks that uh, sport and politics don't mix. They mix all the time. But what I can say is that at the AFL, we absolutely accept that there is an intersection between politics and, and sport or issues that people consider political. The next listener asks, how are you working to convince Indigenous no and undecided voters that they should have faith in a government that has systemically failed them? I think the opportunity that we have right now is to embed this mechanism, this voice, into the constitution so it will not be existing on the whim of the government of the day. So I think it actually helps alleviate those valid concerns where people have felt let down by successive governments of all persuasions, where we know that, you know, there's been huge disappointments, lack of servicing, lack of understanding and, um, a real mismatch in terms of what is required and and what is actually happening. So I think embedding the voice into the Australian constitution actually helps us rise above those existing concerns, which, as I said, I can completely understand. Mm -hmm. One listener asks, why is the government failing to meet deceptive narratives around the voice with more force? What do you think of that? Is the government doing enough to tackle misinformation? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because I think the thing about referenda that are different to a a general election for our parliamentary representatives is that this, to be successful, needs to be a unifying moment. It needs to be a moment where we come together. Um, Certainly the Yes case is working on trying to help build a unifying force rather than a combative one. Um, To focus too much on the arguments of the no case takes you away from the positive conversations. So I think, you know, a referenda is not like other elections where you will see uh, a huge focus on those combative matters. And so that's perhaps why some people are feeling like they're not seeing enough of that. Surely the government and the Yes campaign does have a role to combat misinformation, though. Are you concerned that this strategy of remaining positive and not combating that misinformation could, could backfire? Um, No, I'm not, because I also do see that there's quite a lot of material that is offering fact-checking to um, highlight where some of the claims from the no case um, are really an exercise in in mischief and fear and confusion. Mm -hmm. Just on this topic of, of misinformation, the Liberal Party recently sent out pamphlets that include a QR code for people to register for postal voting, which actually takes photos to a, a party website that gathers their personal information. What do you think of this tactic? I think it's unfortunate that it would take people to a political party, which again, you know, seeks to politicise this issue because a referendum should rise above party politics. It's unfortunate that we don't have that multi-partisan support 
from across the political parties when it comes to this referendum. And if this referendum succeeds, it'll be the first time we've had a successful referendum without that multi-partisanship. One final listener question. They ask, if the referendum does not pass, do you think the issue, the issue of a voice and the need for greater representation will fade from the culture, will fade from the cultural conversation? And what will you do if it does? Um focused on the win, obviously, and that's when you're campaigning, that's what you have to do. Um, But certainly I think it would be incredibly damaging for the morale of the country. But I think this aspiration has been so well established through over a decade of work to get to this point. I don't believe this aspiration will leave just because we haven't had a success. I think a huge opportunity will be lost um, for us to move forward in a more unified way as a nation. And it's important to remind people that at the moment, the Australian Constitution recognises coinage, it recognises lighthouses, it recognises Queen Victoria, but says absolutely nothing about the First Peoples who have always been here. And we have an opportunity to remedy that with a practical expression through the voice to parliament. And I really hope that when um, voting day comes, people realise this opportunity is one that we should not squander. Um, We cannot be guaranteed it will come again. And um, the opportunity is now, and I really hope the country takes it with both hands. Peter Dutton has suggested that if elected as Prime Minister, he would push for another referendum for symbolic constitutional recognition. How do you feel about that proposal? It was always clear and is still clear now that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are not interested in purely symbolic recognition alone. Um, We feel that it would be a wasted opportunity and um, lack the substance that gives it the kind of meaning and demonstrated meaning about the way that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are valued as citizens in our own land. Okay, Tanya, that's all of our questions. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That was Yes campaigner Tanya Hosh and earlier No campaigner and Liberal Senator for South Australia, Karen Little. To get the latest news on the referendum, head to theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Phoebe McElraith and Camilla Hannan, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producer is Hannah Parks. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow Full Story wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also leave a review. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.